0: are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, um, I am so excited and honored to get to introduce our speaker this morning. He is a dear friend to us here at BFC. Pastor Lewis McLean um, has been a shepherd to so many. And this morning, he is gonna come and share with us. I don't know if you remember last year, um, about this time, he was retiring after 40 years of service and pastoring of this church. And we are so excited to hear what God is gonna share through his life today and what he's laid on his heart. So please join with me in welcoming Pastor Lewis. Oh, my goodness. Um, thank you very much. On the screen, I'd like to have a, a picture shown, if, if you could. Uh, it's a photograph. Oh, right here. This is my granddaughter. And if Rick can show his granddaughter, <laughs> I can show mine. Matter of fact, yes. Um, I think my granddaughter and grandson are sitting right over here, maybe somewhere. And if you can just wave at me. Thank you, Ronan. Thank you, Darby. Thank you so much. That'll be an encouragement. Really, this is a pretty good image of what I feel like when Rick asked me to preach on Sunday morning. Uh, Instead of being the dad's leg, Josh, this is God and this is me. And this is almost the way I feel. And, and, and as I was feeling that, I said, God, you got to help me. 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 And he said, if I can use a donkey to talk to some people, I can use you. <laughs> so I think he's going to help me. Father, um, boy, just feel your spirit here. And uh, uh, it is good. Continue to teach us how much you love us. Uh can you to, to, to direct us and to guide us? And as we reflect on this last year, this in the past, uh, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of tough stuff. And as we are looking forward to uh, 2024, you'll be faithfully with us, revealing your plans, your direction. I think that your spirit is wanting to talk to each and every one of us today about your thoughts, about your help, about your love and grace to uh, get us through this journey. You're so good, amen. Did you ever get any Christmas cups for um, around this time? I, I've got, someone's asked me if I was gonna use some props and and I always do and, um, and so here's a, a few of my Cup collection here's the Museum of the Bible. We Reed and I went out there to D.C. to see that. This is a my this is a BFC first time guest cup. And you're probably say, well, what is he doing with the first time? You know, in 1950 something, I was a first time guest here, and so I just went up to the desk and said, uh, "Could I have a cup in memory of my first time coming to BFC?" THEY PROBABLY WON'T LIKE ME SAYING THAT BECAUSE NOW EVERYONE ELSE IS GOING TO DO THE SAME THING AND I THINK IT'S FINE, WE CAN PUT IT IN THE BUDGET, SURE, NOW THAT I'M RETIRED. (laughs) MY THUNDER CUP, uh, YOU KNOW, DRINK FROM THAT THE DAY OF THE GAME. Um, HERE'S MY CHRISTMAS CUP, IT HAS NAUGHTY ON ONE SIDE, NICE ON THE OTHER. I ALWAYS FACE THE NICE TO ME. IT FACES ME AND THEN RITA ACROSS THE TABLE, SHE SEES NAUGHTY. And I'm just trying to remind her, you need to, you know, keep straight. Um, Let's see here. This is Swaziland. This is a collector's item. There's not even a Swaziland anymore. They changed their name. This is Swatini. So, when Doug printed these cups up, these are going to be collector's items. And I'm sure if someone, it's probably worth $100 if you want to come and buy this after the service. there. This one's from Barcelona, Spain, from a friend. Let's see, my secretary got me that with my name all on it. Um, This is a cup they probably won't be making. It's kind of tied into what I'm speaking about today. And it's making the most of your detours. Um, But if if you would also maybe want to invest, we can maybe even sell a few of those after the service. I don't know. Depends on how good the sermon is, I guess. I make trips to Dallas four or five times a year. And there's always construction on I-35. And sometimes in the middle of the construction, they'll have a fender bender. And so traffic really shuts down. No one's moving, maybe even for an hour. And so they do sometimes a detour. And a detour is an unexpected interruption of one's route and a redirection To another on I-35. Luckily, there's a parallel road, Highway 77, that runs up and down parallel to I-35, and and so uh, we are usually uh, rerouted or detoured onto 77. The speed limit is a little bit slower than I-35, but it's better than standing still. But when you're on a detour, you see and you experience and you learn something you never would if you stayed on the main road. On my detour on 77, I discovered Smoke and Joe's Rib Ranch in Davis, Oklahoma. <laughs> I discovered Gonzales Mexican Restaurant in Whittingwood, Oklahoma, or the beautiful hills of the Baptist Falls Creek campgrounds where most Baptist boys kiss their first girlfriend. It's after the Thursday night service. (laughs) The snack shack is closed down. They walk over to the park buses and stars are in the sky. I I wouldn't really know anything about that. (laughs) But that's probably what those Baptist boys do. Well, today I'm speaking about detours, not on the highway. It's detours that all of us face in life. Events in life that send us in different paths than we planned. Sometimes we face undesirable circumstances that feel like detours. How can we rise above them? How can we make the most of our detours as followers of God? About 2,600 years ago, the Israelites were on a big detour. And I believe we can learn some things from them that can help us in our lives today. Let me give you some background. It was about 600 B.C. Babylon was the dominant military power in the Middle East. Israel rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. He sent an army to conquer all of Israel, and the leaders of Jerusalem were taken to Babylon in exile. The Israelites asked God to deliver them, but God sent a letter to the exiles through the prophet Jeremiah, and his instructions were shocking. So here's part of the letter that was sent. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven, heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives that were exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. This is what God said. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. I, I just, I love the idea of many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Praise the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. Its welfare will determine your welfare. See, the Israelites, they wanted the circumstances to change fast. But God said no. No. Wait. Wait until the, if you you wait until the circumstances change to live, that's not good. Live even before the circumstances change. Make yourself a home. Take steps for your future there and build homes and plant gardens and have children. God said, don't waste your opportunities that are all around you. MULTIPLY YOUR FAMILY, YOUR RESOURCES, EVEN YOUR DREAMS. GOD SAID, PRAY FOR THE PROSPERITY OF WHERE I'VE SENT YOU. PRAY FOR YOUR ENEMIES, THE PEOPLE THAT DEFEATED YOU. PRAY FOR THEIR PROSPERITY, BECAUSE THEIR WELFARE WILL DETERMINE YOUR WELFARE. THE KINGDOM OF ISRAEL DID GROW AND MULTIPLY, AND SEVENTY YEARS LATER, THEY BEGAN TO RETURN BACK TO THEIR HOMELAND much stronger, much healthier than they were before the detour. So, what's our personal detours that we face today? Well, maybe you've just graduated from college, and you thought some doors would be open by now, and maybe they haven't opened. Or you have a job, and you're being transferred to another city where you don't know anyone. Or maybe there's some unexpected financial problems that hit you and hit you hard and you're gonna have to change some of your budget, maybe your lifestyle. Maybe your detours are much greater. Your relationship is in trouble. Your marriage ended and everything has been affected. You got a major change in your health and you don't know if it's going to improve. You've downsized. And life is very different now. Maybe you have additional new responsibilities for your parents, for your kids, for your grandkids. You have a habit, or a family member has a habit. A loved one has passed. And you feel like giving up. You're not the same person that you were. So what can we learn from this passage for us today that we can apply living in the middle of a detour? John 16 says this, I have told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, detours, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The first thing that we should do when we find ourselves on a detour is to practice priorities. In Jeremiah, God instructs his children to build homes, basic structure. God said, start with your priorities when you're on a detour. Detours tend to make your life much more complex. God says, simplify. Focus on the important. Throughout history, wise people have sought God for his direction. Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And these things, well, they'll be given to you as well. Moments set aside first to listen to God are always important. But on a detour, the priority is magnified, it's the stabilizer. The most difficult personal detour that I've had lasted about a year and a half. And during that time I had to drop or eliminate a lot of the, uh, the stuff, maybe even some good stuff that I normally did or participated in. So I began to focus on first my time with God. I then focused on my family. And I focused on practices that helped me stay healthy so I could function. I remember walking into my office feeling like, my goodness, I'm not going to make it. And uh, all of a sudden, a promise popped in my mind. I got a piece of paper out, and I wrote it on a piece of paper and had some tape, and I just stuck it on the wall. And over the next two weeks, God brought me promises in the time I would spend with Him, and I would write them on a piece of paper, put the tape on it, and stick it on the wall. After a week... All four walls were totally covered. All four walls totally covered with promises of God. And every time I'd walk in that office and I'd feel like I'm not gonna make it, I would read one of those promises and he would say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. I'm gonna be with you through this detour. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness when you're in a detour. The second thing I I think we can learn from this passage is practice planting. In Jeremiah, God instructs His children to plant gardens. God might be saying to you in your present detour, your circumstances are not gonna change as fast as you would like to, so make the best of it. Do something now that's committed to your future. This is not immediate gratification. This action step is a part of a cycle of healthy living and planning that produces fruit later. And I love pecans. Memories go back to holidays, watching the Dallas Cowboy football games while we're cleaning pecans in the living room. Uh, one person would crack, he'd have a rubber band, pop the, and they would pass those in a bowl to the next person and they would have this this metal in our family, they would have these metal picks and you'd kind of pick out the, the meat. And then the next person was the inspector, that was me. And, uh, and about every six pieces of pecan, I would test it to make sure that the product was good. <laughs> if any of you need any testers in your home, I will volunteer my services for that. Uh, we would do this with a tree that was really planted right out in the front of our house. We built the house around this pecan tree. And these pecan trees, I mean, these pecans would fall every time, uh, every year, about this time of year. We'd pick them up and and clean them during football games. Um, I moved 10 years ago to to a, a new home without a pecan tree. And so I called my good friend Ted. Ted goes to this church and he's an expert at grafting paper shell limbs onto regular native pecan trees, and, and here's an example of what he gave me uh, seven years ago, and it uh, looks like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, doesn't it, you know? And um, I decided that I was going to plant that at my new home with envisioning that down the road there would be fruit, there would be produce that eventually this tree would um, give me to feed my family, maybe some neighbors. I can give some gifts away, maybe the community a little bit. I did some research. It takes about seven or eight years for a tree this size to grow to produce your first fruit. And so I think next year is my first year to have fruit. I've been, I've been doing this for seven years. I've been watering and nurturing this tree. And it's about nine feet tall right now, and it's going to start producing. A, a, a pecan tree can live... Usually between 75 years to 125, but even some have lived to be 300 years old. And so that tree, when it's fully grown, is going to maybe touch that ceiling. One pecan, one pecan eventually will turn into a tree that will produce a third of a ton of pecans annually, 800 pounds. Uh, About a third of a ton. Over a 100 years, 33 tons of pecans from one planted pecan. Really, this planting idea is much broader than houses or gardens. We are to be planters of dreams, planters of encouragement, Planters of justice, planters of love, planters of forgiveness, and kindness. All these multiply and produce uncountable fruit. Detours in in life, I I really don't care for them. I'd prefer to avoid them, but they're gonna come. I tend to want God to change my circumstances. Instead, God's love wants to change me. Imagine that. Psalm 31. I will rejoice and be glad in your unfailing love. For you have seen my affliction and have cared for me in my distress. I wanna tell you, you have not abandoned me. God has not abandoned you today, wherever you are in your detour. Building homes, planting gardens, expanding the family, growing myself is all a part of living now, working now, with great expectation that it will produce fruit And if you ask God for wisdom and direction, he will give you wisdom and direction and guidance. And and our commitment to follow God's guidance during a detour is a great way to participate in the wonderful plans that God has for my life, your life, and the lives of others. During some of the darkest detours of my life, I was able to plant some friendships that have produced so much fruit in my life. Maybe you've done the same thing. I have two guys by the name of Mickey and Tom. I think one of them is here today that have been so important to me in the last 15 years. There was a married couple I met through a bicycle ride, Megan and Adam, who have been an unbelievable encouragement to me. Another relationship I planted uh, gentleman by the name of Kent that I met at a coffee shop and we would meet there probably three times a week for two or three years. What do you want to do with your life? It's never too late. Who do you want to help? What would be a great example of building God's kingdom in your community, neighborhood, family? Maybe you hope to spend more of your energy and time on resources and helping others using your strengths to serve others, to take what you have and commit to multiplying it, especially during the detour. God doesn't waste anything. Jesus said in John chapter six, he instructs his disciples to gather the scraps after the miracle of multiplying the fish and the bread. He doesn't waste anything. He collects the scraps. I learned something from my college pastor, Glafrey Gilliland. This is what she said. God doesn't throw the scraps away. He doesn't waste the hurt. He heals it. He wants more for you than a life of semi-fulfillment. He wants you to be whole. He has far better dreams for you. My grandmother's name was Anna. She was a part of a large family in Missouri in the late 1800s. She had a major detour at the time she was about six years old. Her mother died. Her dad had to farm out the children to all the relatives to be raised while he tried to earn a living to pay for the clothes and their food. He would visit the kids as often as he could. And they all lived in different homes, so when he would visit my grandmother, Anna, she would love it. And when he had to leave, you know the scene of my granddaughter, Anna would go and wrap her arms and legs around her daddy's legs and say, don't leave, don't leave. And he would reach down and hug and, Encourage her. It was a tough detour for a six-year-old. My grandmother, with God's help, grew up, got married, raised six kids, taught children Sunday school for many years, got through her detours, lived to be 104 in Bentonville, Arkansas. If she could thrive in the midst of her detours, following God, so can I. Some detours are much tougher than others. Sometimes you can't find it to build and plant. It's just, the energy's not there, at least yet. And in those times, you run to your father and you grab hold of his leg and you hang on with all your mind. So the first step, practice priorities. The second, practice planting. The third, practice peace. In this passage, work for peace of the city where I sent you into exile. Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, happy are those who work for peace. God God will call them his children. The understated object here of peace is really people. Those who work for peace among people, those who make it possible for people to live in harmony, those who make it possible for people to have good relationships, they are peacemakers. You know, when Miss America was on TV once a year, uh, they'd always ask one of the candidates, what do you want most? And the key answer was world peace, world peace. How about starting a little bit smaller? How about in the midst of your detour, you become a person who brings peace to your coffee group each morning, peace to your home, words of peace at your job or your school or your team. How about posting words of peace on your social media? I'm not saying you're going to agree with everyone, that's, that's not realistic. but but your words should not be fuel for conflict. Practice peace, it'll make a big difference. Practice priorities, practice planning, practice peace, the fourth one and the last one. Practice prospering others. And work for the prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare, my welfare. Most of our prayers for prosperity are about ourselves. Why not shift those prayers for others around you? Maybe help in the CR ministry. Help those that are hurting, those that are coming out of addiction. Help those applying for jobs, finding housing, Counseling, medical clinics, get involved in a group that maybe helps raise money for scholarships for students that probably wouldn't go to college any other way. Make a difference in their prosperity, their lives, their families. If you're an employer, hire people of potential. Then mentor them for success. This fourth practice probably was the most difficult for the Israelites to practice during their exile because God is asking them to help their enemies the ones that defeated them to prosper that's a tough prayer you've heard it said love your neighbors hate your enemies but Jesus said love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven Um, I was talking with Cindy Lamb. Her husband uh, was my best friend. Uh, Grew up with here in Bethany, one of two or three or four of us that would run around together all the time. 32 years, I think this weekend, maybe even this day ago, Steve had gotten in his car and was driving here to the church to teach a Sunday school class. And he was hit by a drunk driver And Cindy's life took a detour. She was pregnant with her third child at the time. And when he was on one floor, Steve, uh, she was on another floor giving birth. He was in a coma for quite a few years. And she was raising this infant and had two boys. They're probably the most energetic, energized boys I've ever seen in my life. She had no job. Uh, she was challenged. And she told me one day as she was walking out of Mercy Hospital, and you've all been out there on Memorial, uh, the north side. She was walking down those steps and she heard a voice. She heard a voice that said, You know this scripture? I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster. to give you a future and a hope. Do you really believe that, Cindy?" She heard that voice say that. Do you really believe that?" Cindy said she told the voice, "Well, I, I know God loves me, and I know God loves my family. Yeah. But look at all your circumstances. Do you think you really have a future and a hope? Because he loves me. Yes, I do. Where are you? Are you hearing voices? Asking you questions. Do you you really believe that God has a plan for you in the midst of what's going on? Do you really believe there's a God? Do you really believe that God loves you? Look at your circumstances. I hope that you feel God wrap his arms around you right now. And whispers in your ear, yes, 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 I love you. And I have a plan for you through this detour. Henry Nowen said, we must learn to live each day, each hour, yes, each minute, as a new beginning as a unique opportunity to make everything new, yes, even in a detour. Imagine that we could live each moment as a moment pregnant with new life. Imagine that we could live each day as a day full of promise. Imagine that we could walk through this new year always listening to a voice saying to us, I have a gift for you and can't wait for you to see it. Imagine your loving heavenly Father.